Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This episode of Everything Under the Sun is sponsored by NHTSA. A child's body temperature rises three to five times faster than an adult's, and leaving a child in a hot vehicle can lead to their death very quickly. Tragically, in 2020, 24 children died of pediatric vehicular heat stroke, and many of these incidents occurred when parents or caregivers simply forgot the child was in the car. Please set yourself reminders on your cell phone or place something you'll need in the back seat so you don't forget your child. Always look for your baby before you lock. From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun. It's our weekly podcast with stories and information from our team of experts at AccuWeather.com and around the world that help weatherproof your life. My name is meteorologist Dean DeVore, and I'm a morning radio meteorologist on some of the great radio stations across America. In those formats, I get maybe 20, 30, 40 seconds at most, sometimes a minute if I'm lucky to talk about the weather. But here I get longer segments to go more in depth with our guests. And I have a special guest coming up as we get ready to celebrate National Lightning Safety Awareness Week with needed information for a phenomenon in the weather that I think sometimes is underappreciated and underrespected. Lightning, even though the deaths and fatalities are going down, still so many injuries attributed with lightning every year that really with some care could be prevented. A woman who has dedicated her life to helping folks be prepared, but then once they do suffer a lightning injury to help them cope with it afterwards. Dr. Marianne Cooper from the National Lightning Safety Council will join us in our first Rays of Focus segment. In our second segment, a character who has been an iconic part of New York radio for 40 years. John Montone will join me to celebrate a career well done. And we'll talk to Bill Dagger about the weather for this upcoming week and the week beyond. Tropical stuff in the Gulf stifling record heat out west and a cool nice start to the weekend goes downhill a little bit in the northeast we'll get all of that information coming up in our final segment friends sit back and relax it's time to talk about everything under the sun from accuweather.com here in summer, we're getting ready for National Lightning Safety Awareness Week. It begins on Sunday, June 20th and continues through Saturday, June 26th. Since the National Lightning Safety Council began this National Lightning Safety Awareness Week in 2001, fatalities in the United States have dropped from about 55 per year to being consistently over the last three years less than 30. And as we stand here about halfway through June, we are in the low single digits for lightning fatalities this year. So the education works, but we keep needing to do it. And we're certainly happy to welcome folks from the National Lightning Safety Council to do that. Um, coming up at National Lightning Safety Council, we can go to their website, lightningsafetycouncil.org. Uh, you will find different topics on every day. But one of the things that I find is just talking to people about this, especially that have different expertise. And one member of the National Lightning Safety Council that I'd like to talk to today is a lady who has, my goodness, done it all, Mary Ann Cooper. She is now Professor Emerita of Emergency Medicine from the University of Illinois, Chicago. She retired from 2009 
But when she was a professor at UIC, she also held additional faculty appointments in neurology and bioengineering. You're going to hear how her love of medicine and helping people and her kind of delving into high voltage injury in the emergency room got her to the place where she needed to learn more about lightning. And that lifelong learning and amazing accomplishments in this field earned her being elected as a fellow to the American Meteorological Society. Folks, there was only 0.3% of the folks that belong to the AMS that are elected as fellows. So she has a wealth of knowledge, and she really has a love for what she does. So it's my pleasure to welcome from the National Lightning Safety Council, Dr. Marianne Cooper, to talk about National Lightning Safety Awareness Week here on Everything Under the Sun. Dr. Cooper, it's great to have you with us here today. Um, last year, we had Dr. Jensenius on, um, Dr. Lightning. Just about a month ago, I had Chris Bogaski on uh, with this idea that now we're figuring that Oklahoma may be outdistancing Florida in terms of being the lightning capital of the world. So I've been enjoying getting to know members of the National Lightning Safety Council. And when I look through some of the folks, because we always like to try to interview new people. It was really evident to me that uh, this really nexus between medicine and lightning and what you have done in your career was something that I wanted to talk to folks about and have them hear your story. Uh, as a person who is training to be a doctor and then being such an amazing person in emergency medicine, I think you saw right away that lightning was something that folks were dealing with and not in a uh, necessarily a good way because there wasn't the awareness 20, 30, 40 years ago. And certainly even up until 10, 15 years ago, the number of fatalities back in 2006, 48, you know, we've seen that decline. But what was it that kind of got you into both taking your medical knowledge and then your interest in meteorology and lightning and bringing that together? Oh, first of all, thanks for inviting me. Uh, secondly, thanks for um, profiling different people from the National Lightning Safety Council. It's a great team to work with. Uh, so as far as how I got involved with lightning, I started practice back in the uh, late 70s. And at that point, there weren't even any textbooks in emergency medicine, which is my area of training. And there was certainly nothing even in the surgical and the medical textbooks about lightning. I was interested in electrical injuries and high voltage electrical injuries. And at one point, somebody held up their hand at one of the lectures and said, well, what happens with lightning? I said, I don't know. <laughs> well, well, I don't know. Some, I sometimes the best things in our lives come from people that ask questions that we don't know, and then we make our lives work out of it, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's how it sort of turned out. I started researching lightning injuries and uh, found out that there was nothing in the literature that said, this is what you should tell a family about their son who's just come into the emergency department hit by lightning. And of course, I didn't know anything about it either at the time. And so I just coded it for everything I could and came up with some of the first correlations about lightning injury and whether the person would live or die or have permanent problems, that kind of thing. Well, soon realized that uh, after I got involved with the lightning strike and electric shock support group, that I could write papers on lightning injury, but how many people were going to read them? But when I got involved with the National Weather Service and NOAA and uh, the people that are now on the National Lightning Safety Council, it was a great opportunity to prevent injuries. And it's far better to prevent an injury than it is to take care of it afterwards. 
obviously as a, a an emergency room doctor, you were going to have to deal with that uh, in terms of injuries and, and, and learn that. But the better approach was how to try to help people not be in a situation where lightning was going to injure them. Uh, I think that is proof successful. In fact, we should mention, folks, because of Dr. Cooper's work, she is the first physician that's elected as a fellow to the American Meteorological Society. We have a couple of fellows that work within AccuWeather. So that's a very prestigious situation. And um, the fact that uh, all that the things that you've done in consultation something you want know, less than what three tenths of a percent of the whole of the AMS membership uh, is a, is elected as a fellow so that's an amazing accomplishment I'm sure one that you're proud of but uh one that you certainly worked hard and and talk about some of the things that you saw that people weren't doing I mean obviously you know stay away when you see a thunderstorm you need to get inside you know when you hear it roar head indoors I mean that's the the big uh, slogan from the National Lightning Safety Council, but I think there's even some deeper understanding that people need about lightning in order to stay safe. Yes? Yes, sir. I think you're absolutely right. The only places that are safe from lightning are inside a substantial building or inside an all-metal vehicle. No place, no place outside is safe when thunderstorms are in the area. People always want us to tell them whether they should stand close to the telephone pole or under the, the wires or um, this far away from a tree or all those kinds of things. By the time you've gotten in that kind of a situation, you've already made too many bad decisions as my colleague Ron right, Howie, right. Uh, yeah, said. I can, I can believe that. Right. You know, uh, but um, when you're in that situation, I think sometimes your mind goes haywire because mm-hmm. there's a, there's a panic there. So just slow down and think about it. Right. Uh, and, and then these are the things that you need to do very quickly, but calmly and, and, and efficiently. Right. Initially, what we told people was all these don'ts, don't stand under a tree, don't do this, don't do that. Well, that doesn't help. That's not something you can remember, and it doesn't tell you what you should be doing. So we've really changed our strategy to telling people the do's, the things that people can remember quickly, easily. Even three-year-olds understand this. When thunder roars, go indoors. Now we're doing it in Spanish, in an idiom that we work with, you know, in rhyme and work with the Spanish. Entiendo. Uh, so it's, yeah, <laughs> so it's not um, a direct translation. Right. But give people short things they can remember in a disaster situation. What are some of those now, short when things? When thunder roars, go indoors. So the second one is no place outside is safe when thunderstorms are in the area. No place. The third one is when, um, I can't remember exactly how it rhymes. It's something about when there's been no thunder for 30 minutes, it's safe to go outdoors or something like that. And that's okay, but you're already in a safe place at that point. So, you know, as long as you wait until you haven't seen any lightning or or heard any thunder for 15, 20, 30 minutes, you're probably in pretty good shape. We've had people who have died because they have been in a shopping center, safe, know there's a thunderstorm, everything's cool. And then they decide that they need to call someone on their cell phone, but they couldn't get a reception inside the building. So they step out into the parking lot and they got killed, you know. So it's lightning safety is not convenient. You have to change your behavior. But, you know, think about it. You change your behavior when there's a tornado coming or when there's a hurricane or a tsunami or any other kind of natural disaster. So why not think about changing your behavior when there's lightning? 
And, you know, lightning is the most common weather threat to life that everyone in the world encounters many times on an everyday basis and often with little knowledge, particularly in the developing world, about what they can do to save themselves. I wanted to pick up on that for a second, because in your retirement, you have become uh, the managing director of ACLE Net. Um, it's the Pan-African network dedicated to reducing deaths, injuries, and property damage from lightning because Africa is the world's leader in lightning in terms of distribution. And quite frankly, I'm sure over the decades, they have lagged behind us in terms of the ability to detect it. I mean, it's 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 as a as a meteorologist now for 20 some years, I hear a lightning strike or see a lightning strike near my house. And within seconds, I see it on my phone. So our network in this country has gotten better. But I can imagine in Africa, it's been a challenge to get that development and uh, talk a little bit about that work. I think that's been going on since about 2014. Well, Africa is not the only place. We also work with people in Bangladesh, India, Nepal, Colombia, South America, Brazil, all over the world. So there's many hotspots for lightning, a lot more lightning than there is in the United States. So that's one problem, more exposure. Secondly, in many of these developing countries, housing is not safe. 90% or more of housing is still made uh, out of mud bricks and thatched roofs, which are highly flammable. And they don't have the same substantial buildings that we have within a few feet, usually, a few seconds for us to reach those. Weather in these developing countries is only given, weather information is only uh, put together and given to the airports because of international trade. Okay. It's not available on your cell phone. It's not available in real time. Like you, if, I don't know how many apps do that nowadays in the United States. They don't have that. So they also don't have information about when there's going to be a drought or a rainstorm. So when should they harvest their crops? And last but not least, because of the lack of knowledge, lack of a scientific basis that we've all grown up learning how to think uh, somewhat scientifically anyway, there's still the suspicion, or there's still the belief that lightning is a punishment because you've secretly been beating your wife or some other evil, or that you could hire a witch to call somebody, call lightning down on one of your enemies. Uh, so in South Africa, for instance, if your son is injured by lightning or killed by lightning, you know it's because of that family in the other village. And so you get your family together and you go over and do revenge killings on that family. And that's and been that's something that you've encountered or seen as you've been uh, as you've been working with this situation. Wow. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We've had uh, one woman who was irritated with her mother and uh, mother-in-law and sisters-in-law. And when her daughter was killed by lightning, um, she got the whole village to stone the three of them and kill them. That's in the newspaper. You know, and this is not uncommon. So we have a lot of work to do, not just, you know, and it's day by day, step by step, chip by chip, because it's a huge mountain of work that needs to be done. But we now have an international group of, we had this conference at the end of May, 285 registrants from 38 countries who were interested in lightning safety. They were lightning safety advocates and trying to start programs. And so I told my husband I can die happy now because we have started the ball rolling. 
it's it's big enough now. It's going to keep rolling regardless whether I'm here. The ball got rolling in our country. I mean, if you if you look at all the work that has been done, and and I and I said that back then. I'm looking at the tally here. You go back to 2006, 48, 2007, 47, and then there's about seven years where it's dropping into the upper 20s, mid 30s fatalities per year. And then we get to the end of this past decade, and now we're down into the teens and 20s. And here we are, 2021, Doctor Cooper. And so far, thankfully, only two, and they've all they've come in the last week, unfortunately. Um, it looks like someone in uh, New Jersey who was on a golf course standing under a tree. And then this past weekend, uh, Tybee Island there in Georgia, near Jacksonville, um, in the water at the beach. But that's two, almost halfway through the year. Um, obviously, we're getting into lightning time with summer thunderstorms and stuff. But still, that's amazing to see that reduction over the decades. And I know you and your friends and colleagues at the National Lightning Safety Council, the National Weather Service, it's got to be really encouraging that things that you're saying, things that you're teaching, and the tools that we have are making a big difference. Absolutely. You said it very well. Yeah, we're down to two injuries or two deaths so far. You know, 90% of people survive lightning, but they may have permanent injuries, including brain injuries like the football players and, and chronic pain because it's a nervous system injury. And that's one of the things I did also early on is really taught the difference between high voltage injuries and lightning. And then we did the beginning studies on how many people survive where they are when they're injured, what's going on. And that's, of course, changed over the years, as you've um, talked about. But we've got the information out there. And even if somebody can't quote when thunder roars go indoors, they know that, you know, when there's a thunderstorm, they're not supposed to be out here anymore. You know, the media, people like you, the the folks that call me up from all of the interviews all over the world that we've done and that our team has done, they are the ones made the difference. Like I said, if I write a paper on lightning, how many people are going to read it? But how many people are going to listen to this podcast? How many people are going to go, gee, I didn't think about that. You know, um, maybe the next time I'm at the, the soccer field with my kids and thunderstorm comes up, you know, I better do something. You guys are the ones that have made the difference in this. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I think we at, at AccuWeather and all the other uh, companies and all our partners that we work with, it, it's a catch-22 for meteorologists because I grew up, that's one of the things that got me into weather. It was watching the thunderstorm roll in on my front porch, getting yelled at by my parents to come in maybe earlier than I wanted to and not understanding, well, it's still, it's all the way over there. It can't uh, can't get to me and, and understanding that and certainly then become a meteorologist and learning all that. I thought one other fascinating thing I wanted to touch on is a little bit what you just talked about a minute ago, and that's your work with the lightning strike and electric shock survivors and international support group, because you're right. I mean, we're talking about fatalities, but there's, what is it, 10 to 15 times more people uh, are injured than than the fatalities. And I, I know a person who, a dear friend, camping buddy, happened to be camping at a different time than I was and got struck uh, indirectly, followed the ground. And he has problems since that. I mean, he he survived, but he has some physical issues. So that's been, I'm sure, rewarding work to work with people who have been impacted and had to live with injuries because of lightning uh, after their hit. Absolutely. And, you know, I have to say that I started out the same with them over 30 years ago. They asked me a question. I go, I don't know. But we kept finding the answers and they taught me so much about the the kinds of problems that families go through when they have 
a child or the breadwinner uh, who becomes injured and is, isn't able to continue in school or go back to work or something like that, it can be devastating. And 90%, nine out of 10 people in the developed world live after lightning, but may have the problems. I think uh, one of it, too, is uh, we have so many tools now and we have this idea that we're so invincible as we get uh, more and more technology and you just never think it's going to happen to you. And at least we have all the tools we need to make sure. I mean, I very rarely see a forecast that doesn't include thunder anymore when it's likely. I think we actually probably err on the side of caution the other way. And sometimes actually as a meteorologist, that concerns me because if I keep saying there's going to be thunder today, there's going to be thunder today, there's going to be lightning and thunder, and there isn't, then the person receiving that forecast is like, what is he? Yeah, I don't have to worry about that. You know, they always talk about thunder and it never happens. So do you, do you think that's a valid point where if we say thunder so much, but it's not necessarily, it's a marginal day. But this is the thing in meteorology, you can have a marginal thunder day and one clap and it's all it takes, right? Yeah. It only takes one strike, you know, and frankly, we'll never get the number of people killed and injured by lightning down to zero because there's always that first strike. But you guys are making people aware. I mean, nobody expects meteorologists to be right all the time. We do. You know, we expect ourselves to be right. We had one of those in Chicago where you live. I remember yeah. that uh, earlier because I know Dr. Well, Cooper listens know. to WBBM. At least you, at least you know, right. so you're raising awareness. Now, this is such a major, major change. If you think about 10, 15 years ago, the Weather Service did not include lightning in their warnings. No. Lightning. Yeah, not at all. Well, because it's not a severe parameter, Dr. Cooper. Meteorologically, the, the and we don't even necessarily any warning care that much about flooding rainfall, even though that's a big problem with a big thunderstorm. So I agree. But I, I think uh, I know when I talk about it, if there's a system that I think going to be frequently and we just had one where I live the other night, it just seemed like boom, 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 cloud to ground within, you know, a lot of flashbangs, right? Where I'm not, I can't count more than one, I can't even get thousand out. And it's, it's my, so I agree. I think that needs to be more highlighted that, you know, uh, a thunderstorm with frequent deadly lightning, that needs to be wording that we use in those situations. I agree. And you're do, you guys are doing a great job. I was told 15, 20 years ago that lightning would never be in a, in a, a warning, never be in a forecast. And now it's in all the time. I mean, the Weather Service is just, and NOAA and all the folks in the media and the broadcast meteorologists, you guys have just done a tremendous job of educating about lightning. And that's why our numbers are down. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, you personally have done a tremendous job through your life and career. I uh, we're running out of time here, but I, I think at some point I'd like to have you back on and we can talk about some other things. I'd like to explore the the international thing uh, with the a ACLE net and, and more than that. Um, as we come to a close, anything that I miss that you would want to tell people, you know, other than uh, the, the kind of tips that we talked about today? Is there anything that uh, stands out to you that we need to keep thinking about as we go through this summer? The only other thing, because we've hit it pretty well, is that, you know, the Weather Service, as good a job as you guys do, you're never going to be able to warn of every lightning strike. It's a personal responsibility. 
You can't blame it on the government for not telling you. You can't blame it on your coach for not telling you to get off the, the field. You can't blame it on anybody. It's a personal responsibility. And one other point is that, you know, with all the video games now, we all think we have do-overs. Regardless of how many times we're killed, we get a do-over. Right. Well, you don't get a do-over in real life. Sorry. You know, <laughs> so pay attention to what's going on. That's a, a point I've been making to a lot of people that I think uh, the, our youngsters in society have problems with that aspect because they can just reset mm -hmm. and start over. And there are sometimes with consequences with life and nature that you cannot do that. Dr. Marianne Cooper, this has been an amazing interview. I appreciate it. Um, I hope we can get to talk again. That would be great. Thanks for having me. Again, National Lightning Safety Awareness Week begins Sunday, June 20th, runs through the 26th on Saturday. You can get information at lightningsafetycouncil.org. That's lightningsafetycouncil.org. You can get onto the National Lightning Safety Awareness Week tab, and there's a complete listing of events. Dr. Cooper also wanted me to share her email. If you have information or want to talk to her or schedule her for an interview, you can talk to her at macooper, macooper. Cooper at UIC.edu. Friends, great topic and lightning safety. I hope you all take that advice when thunder roars head indoors. There's been a man that's been roaring on the streets of radio over the last 40 years, and he had a shocking announcement this past week. John Montone retiring from radio, but not from our hearts. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll talk to John Montone in our second segment coming up. This is Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Whether you're at home getting ready for work, packing the kids' lunch, or commuting, listen to AccuWeather Daily. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, and you'll get the top trending weather story of the day every day. Welcome back to Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. I'm meteorologist Dean DeVore, your host. An amazing conversation with Dr. Cooper in that first segment about lightning safety. We hope to have Dr. Cooper on again. Bill Dager is waiting for segment number three to talk about the weather for the weekend and the week beyond and our tropical situation with the potential for Claudette and everything else, including big changes in the east after the heat continues out west. If you are in New York, you probably can't help but know the name John Montone. He's an, well, I'm going to borrow the words of my uh, mentor and friend and boss when I'm on 1010 Wins, brand manager and director of news and programming. John Montone is a rock star in a format that does not produce rock stars. He is famous in a format that does not make you famous. John Montone is probably the single most identifiable name that the Wins call letters have produced over the last several years. He's a masterful writer, an extraordinary storyteller, and perhaps, incredibly, he creates an intimacy with the people he interviews. He's even built up enough credit and, and experience that at one point, when the anchor of 1010 Wins, Lee Harris in the morning, was giving a little grief about his birthday, could threaten Lee, and they'd laugh about it. By the way... Just so everybody knows that I am a bit biased, I'm a, a lifelong Giants fan, and for my 60th birthday, uh, Eli sent me a personally autographed football. Was he even with the team then when you were 60? I guess maybe at the beginning of his career. <laughs> you know, yeah, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, if I was up there in the studio right now, uh, I might have to get in line, but like I'd open the door and put my arm, my hands around your little neck. <laughs> All right, take a number. Happy Thank Friday. <laughs> Happy Friday, John Montone. 
I've gotten to know John well over the years. He loves the weather. He loves talking about it with me behind the scenes. He always has that little rib when, you know, we don't exactly get it right, but always provides amazing information. After almost 40 years or over 40 years on the radio dial, he is going to give up that microphone and that early morning alarm clock. We'll miss him in that spot, but we're going to still hear from him. I want to welcome in John Montone to Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. John, it is uh, an amazing career that you have uh, had, and I want to celebrate that a little bit with you today. And I want to talk about a bunch of things here, not only how you evolved the man on the street to become a household name in the New York City, that man in the street reporting situation, but also your love of weather, your affinity for it, and what your plans are. John, it's great to be talking to you here on everything under the sun here on accuweather.com yeah you too dean uh, this is uh i never saw your studio ah. like this i'm, I'm getting a, a visual now that i never had before well it's amazing because we've actually moved some things so this wasn't my original studio this actually was the dr joe p sobel joseph ah, uh, a giant yes a giant and i've tried to step in his footsteps but we're, we're changing things around and this is going to be my studio going forward this is the first week i've been back in the uh, studios here since uh, the pandemic. And, you know, it's it's amazing, um, John, what, 40 plus years waking up New Yorkers with your brand of humor, wit, caring, emotion, and just the words that you use to, to strike at our feelings and make us do something. Congratulations on that career. Uh, how's it been this last week, not having to wake up so darn early? I mean, uh, instead of uh, hearing the, because I had the clock alarm still, mm-hmm. old school, instead of hearing, you know, the news watch never stops, <laughs> and then hearing Lane Bajardi, our overnight anchor, and no, you know, no offense, Lane's a great news anchor, but right. uh, instead I uh, wake up to birds chirping and wind chimes. You, uh, <laughs> that's a lot better because I, I, I just don't think unless you do it every day. And, you know, I've been part of uh, not only at AccuWeather, but uh, in radio now, better part of 30 years of my career. And most of that has been early morning. So, um, I mean, for what we do on 1010 Wins and other major radio stations, both you and I, I mean, that wake up call 2.33 in the morning because we're hitting the ground running at five o'clock. That means you've got to be talking to the editor around 3.30, quarter of four. You know, the the, the feet have to be on the pavement uh, by four to get some reaction to get into that first 5 a.m. news block. So, I mean, those hours, I mean, how did you do it all those years? I mean, it, it's it had to be incredibly challenging. <laughs> challenging not only for you personally but family too i mean how great is that family that could understand and how to deal with dad going to bed at six o'clock in the evening right yeah i guess uh, they uh, they grew up thinking of me as you know grumpy dad at a particular uh, point and then uh, they became teenagers and they no longer cared um, i would say um it's Difficult in the sense that, you know, I had to miss some of their, you know, their ball games and their school events that went on a little too late. In fact, last night was the first time I can remember that I was able to watch an entire New York Mets night game during the week, you know, during the week. I mean, it was I mean, I still had a struggle to uh, to stay up, but it was. it was an incredible experience to watch Lugo pitch out of trouble in the ninth <laughs> and the Mets win the game. And I'm there to hear the wrap up. 
New York City, obviously, the Yankees sometimes tend to dominate in terms of uh, the the news and stuff. But so many great Mets fans. You, Doctor Sobel, was Joe Sobel was a huge Mets fan. Judy DeAngelis, the uh, longtime morning anchor, huge Mets fan. Uh, did you always do you feel a little minority being a Mets fan in New York? Sometimes I mean, I've always, I grew up a Phillies fan, so that don't get a, a second team oh, in the town. Oh, this is, yeah, this well, is over now. Dave. Okay, goodbye. This is over. This whole thing. Uh, no, no, not not at all. Not at yeah. all. I mean, you know, there were times, obviously, covering uh, Yankees uh, victory parades <laughs> that I was uh, a little envious, years, yeah. a little envious. But no, the um, the listeners to 1010 wins don't want to hear that I'm not happy that the Yankees won. They want they want the New York team to win. And when I was covering the New York Yankees in the World Series, I was in the stands with the fans and getting their happy reaction, usually <laughs> in the Yankees. A great tradition. So that was uh, that was part of my job, and uh, no problem. I got two giant Super Bowls that I covered, so I had more than my uh, share of uh, uh, glory. Well, and now you got my. I hear my. uh, I hear my dog squeezing one of those toys. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. We're we're, we're easy here on everything under the sun. Uh, As a Giants fan, you got my buddy Saquon Barkley uh, to uh, to watch, enjoy here. Hopefully, in the next several years for you guys. Um, certainly did that here. We're talking with John Montone, just uh, announced a, a week or so ago that after a four-decade run, almost a, a, a retirement of his morning duties on 1010 Wins, which, folks, you just don't understand if you don't live in New York. For all of us that are on 1010 Wins, anyone that would be out in New York City that would have a mic flag or have some identification with 1010 Wins around them, the shout from the crowd would be, are you John Montone? Um, and uh, <laughs> So, I mean, you, that involvement into being such a part of the mornings of New York City on not only 1010 Wins, but some TV work, too, that didn't come by accident, John. It came from hard work. Uh, our buddy Lee Harris also talked about in a, an email that I thought was really cogent was your ability to help and work with getting uh, the technology better to get um, better radio in the morning, more listenable radio from the field. And, you know, we've seen the fruition of that in the last uh, year or so with how we were able to scatter all of our tribe across hundreds yeah. of miles yeah to do what we did all from the confines of a space and have it really sound pretty darn good. I mean, um, a lot of that was you and helping and looking and for best technologies. Talk a little bit about that development over the years in terms of how it was to get on the air every morning on 1010 Wings. Well, well going back, I, I always loved radio. And uh, my first news job was delivering the morning newspaper uh, on a t- at a town uh, in a town that overlooked the Hudson River. Uh, out into uh, Manhattan, and I would race down the streets on my bicycle, throwing the papers and sometimes hitting the front steps, sometimes not, uh, with my six-transistor radio. And I always wondered where the voice came from, you know, (laughs) which building, where is this guy, where is Harry Harrison, where is the news guy on the radio right now? And uh, even at that time, as I get a little older, and there was a switch over in music and my music preferences to FM. And the sound was so much clearer. Um, I always thought that we needed to make sure that you could understand what was being said on the radio. And unfortunately, the technology 
uh, from the field when I uh, came to 10-10 wins was not great. At times, it was simply holding the uh, mouthpiece of a phone to the speaker on the recorder. Mm -hmm. Other times, we'd unscrew the speaker. We had a little connection. <laughs> yeah. The voice right, act, a little, it was right, called. Yeah, a little, a little, but, but it was never, it was nothing, it was never yeah. great. And then when cell phone technology took over, uh, the audio actually suffered. So uh, Lee Harris and I got to talking, and I said, why can't we have a broadband connection from the field. We're starting to get broadband connections. You could have them at home. And he said, that's a good question. Let's look into it. And he and I would go out, he would supply the equipment and I would go out in the field during our time off. And I would, we would test to see if we could get a broadband connection from the field. And I remember once, you know, we got it in Manhattan we get it a little bit in the boroughs. And then he sent me out to the burbs. I'm out there somewhere pretty far off. We're trying to see if this connection will work. And I'll never forget, uh, nothing was happening. Everything was frozen. I picked up my phone. I called Lee uh, and I told him. And Lee simply said, uh, are you plugged in? <laughs> <laughs> kind of like, kind of like our favorite engineers would say, tell you to reset their microprocessor. What does that mean? Uh, yeah, unplug yeah. it, plug it back. Are in, you right? plugged in anyway? So, yeah. but but that was look. The people who listen to the station are our customers, and you can never do enough for your loyal listeners. And even though I might write the story well and tell the story well and get a great interview, if the sound was not crystal clear. It drove me nuts. And so it was, you know, part of it was self-preservation. If if this endeavor was going to go on and be successful, we had to make sure people could hear the product. Uh, they were getting more and more sophisticated in the sounds they could hear on the iPads at the, at the mm. time, at the, the iPods, I'm sorry, the right. iPods and the different. So we wanted to uh, compete with that. I mean, isn't this an exciting time? I mean, I used to have to hide at a transistor radio under my pillow at night to hear yeah. all these great radio stations. And now just by saying Alexa or whatever you want to use, listen to blah, blah, blah. You can listen anywhere and to anything. And the quality is amazing. So I know some people in our business have worried about the medium of radio, but it seems to me that we've got even more of an opportunity because there's always going to be the opportunity to people want audio only. They're doing other things. They don't necessarily need the visual. You know, if you're anywhere in the world, you can listen to any, whatever you want at the drop of a hat without any, you know, you don't have to hide it from your parents. You can listen. I, so I would uh, get messages. I would get messages from listeners who moved away from New York and they uh -huh. would say, John, I missed 10, 10 wins. And I would say, okay, you got a phone oh, yeah. right here. There's an app. You go to the app, you download it. And 15 seconds later, you're in Miami Beach listening to 1010 Winds. And that's a great thing, or a, a programming like this. I mean, it's a podcast. It's not on the AM, FM dial. But you know what? It's, uh, it's the spoken word, and it, it accomplishes the same thing. Um, and I think I, I agree with you. You can be running. You could be riding your bike. You can be anywhere and you can listen to that disembodied voice talking to you. And it, it makes such an impression if it's done well.
And we become family to so many people. And, and, and I think that's one thing that wins and great radio stations and great organizations do. We, we kind of try to bring that listener into family. One of the reasons that uh, John uh, and I have an affinity for each other over the years is because of his interest in weather and this being a weather podcast. John um, now full-time lives down along the Jersey Shore. I mean, you split time in the summers, you know, back and forth. And I think, didn't you maintain an apartment in New York City as well? Not in the city, but, None, uh, but right but across. Close. The bridge, yeah, right, close yeah. By. So, so I mean, you you kind of had the best of both worlds, but but your sense of the weather, especially having to be out in it every morning, <laughs> right, and 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 trudging along, uh, you, as is good, uh, your instincts are good, if not better than even some meteorologists I know. So, look, Superstorm Sandy, uh, I, I think, uh, is in the most recent of big weather makers, but we've had huge snowstorms. Maybe just a couple little anecdotal weather situations that. That you come to mind here is I, I put you on the spot to talk about some quick weather stories. Well, I think uh, the one that always stands out is uh, there was a flash flood, a, a, a super soaker uh, right across the uh, Holland Tunnel from the city. And naturally, I was dispatched to drive into it. And uh, the, the editor on the desk uh, said, we think we have a uh, a mother and a, a child is stuck in the flood water. He gave me the address. Uh, I had a pretty good idea where it was uh, since I know the area very well. I headed to it and I looked and I said, wow, that water looks a little deep. It was tough to tell. It was under a, a railroad underpass. I said, I don't know if I can make it, but all right, let's give it a shot. And I'm in the uh, station car, the 1010 winds mobile <laughs> unit. And whether mm -hmm. like that, we would call it Marine 1010. <laughs> and, uh, and I drove very cautiously and cautiously. And I thought, I've got this baby. And then all of a sudden, blub, 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 oh. and down. And the water, I mean, it just came up from the bottom of the car. It came in every crack and it was just rising and it was up to my chest. And I was trying to hold equipment. Scary. Had to be, was, how scary was that, John? And it was. And I rolled down the window a bit. And I was trying to push open the door. Right. And these police officers were screaming at me. There's a manhole there. Don't get out. You'll go under. Oh, so now I'm in the car. But I will tell you, I will tell you, it was great live radio. <laughs> I'm sure I was, was. I was yelling at the uh, at the towing company that wouldn't come to get me. Uh, a guy who had just sold my my wife a car and thought that I had drowned the car he just sold. <laughs> he was on the phone and I was telling, I was ratting him out. I was going. It was fantastic radio. It cost the company about. $30,000, but I thought it was well worth it. Yeah, we got a go. lot of publicity. TV was there. You know? Did you win an award for that broadcast? Of that I, you know, I don't, the, the, the last for award, uh, the award, the last award <laughs> that I won was about um, a talking fish, believe it or not. Uh, there was, um, there was a rabbi, uh, a, a very uh, orthodox, I, I guess, Hasidic rabbi up in uh, Muncie, I think it was, New York. And uh, we got word that he claimed that one of the fish that uh, was being killed for uh, one of the holidays uh, was talking to him and telling him that, you know, the, the community was no longer following the dictates of God right. and they would be punished. And I went up there and I actually found him. And uh, at one point he said, if you don't believe me, talk to 
this fellow. And it was uh, a young uh, a Spanish guy who actually filleted the fish. And we didn't <laughs> communicate very well. My Spanish was not great. His English was not great. But he started pointing at the fish, screaming, Diablo, Diablo. <laughs> Wow. That's a that's like a, a an updated version of what was it? The incredible Mr. Limpet? Was that talking fish with uh, Don Knotts back in the day? Oh, that, that little that little one, uh, don't worry, be happy. The, mm -hmm. the one they used in the uh Sopranos. Yeah. Absolutely. But yes, that's uh so that was my last award. But uh yeah, getting caught in the flood flood was a bit hairy for a while, but uh you know, I had confidence that the water would eventually go. And we we got a we said, come hell or high water, we'll get you the news. <laughs> there you go. Um, I think, you know, you said award rewards. Um, obviously, we've been rewarded for years listening to you, John. And uh, and I know you've been rewarded, too, with the outpouring of love um, that you felt from uh, announcing your retirement here in the last couple of weeks and everybody's reaction. Um, you know, going back to that, I think we provide such an amazing service. And I, and I really had loved... Uh, and it'll continue with our good friend Glenn Shuck, who's kind of like a soul man now out on the uh, out on the streets. But that that opportunity for me to give information, to get the the information fed back to me from you on the street and folks out and about, I think that kind of firsthand knowledge and and the way we communicate really helps folks. And it, we've been rewarded listening to you. And I know you feel a lot of rewards from all the love that uh, people have uh, talked about over the years. And 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 so um, it's been an amazing career. And I know we're going to continue to talk. You're going to continue to do your live at 805 on Facebook Live. Um, and we're going to have a weather or not segment every once in a while. I'm really looking forward to that because I always want to keep in touch with you. And we're going to have a uh, a drink or so on your deck and look at your weather yeah. station. Are you coming you down up. here uh, this weekend? Uh, you may try. I'm going to be, I'm, I'm visiting New York yeah. as this podcast drops on Friday. Yeah. I'm going to visit winds. Uh, I'm probably going to say into Saturday, I may run down. If I do, I know where to find you on Long Beach Island there. <laughs> John, we're, we're, we're at the bar up the or street. The bar, the bar, oh, yeah. Where, where do the meteorologists go? We go to the ISO bar, right? Yeah. Well, you know, I had to get one in. John Montone, thank you for your uh, amazing career. Congratulations. Enjoy retirement. Your producer, Mary, on the Live at 805, you and Mary have many great years of uh, enjoyment and relaxation and not having to get up at the darkest hours of the morning. Congratulations, John. Thanks, Dan. If you want to be part of John Montone's Facebook Live at 8.05, you can listen or watch live on their Facebook page, 1010 Wins. You can go back at any time, actually, and watch an episode every day. Uh, but John just has a unique perspective on everything. You can follow him on Twitter, on his Twitter feed at 1010 Wins, W-I-N-S Montone, M-O-N-T-O-N-E. Coming up next, I'll be talking with Bill Dagger. We've got lots to talk about. The golf is brewing. Claudette may be forming, and certainly you want to keep an eye on that. And weekend plans are brewing, too. What's the weather look like for this weekend and the week beyond? Bill Dagger has the information with me up next on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. This podcast is sponsored by the NHTSA. Every year, children die from being left alone in cars. If you see a child left unattended, call 911 immediately. Welcome back to Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com, our third episode in summer series of 2021. 
as we head into the third of four weekends, Father's Day weekend. Haven't mentioned that yet, I don't think, in this episode. And a dad of uh, two daughters, right? Two daughters, one son. One son, right? Bill Dagger, M-U-W-X guy, M-U weather guy (laughs) from Twitter. And our friend and colleague joins us here on Everything Under the Sun in our final segment that we always do every week, which is taking a look at the weather at this upcoming weekend and week beyond. And uh, happy Father's Day, Bill. Thank and, you, Dean. Ahead uh, of uh, this, uh, it's going to be it's it's a good summer when you can line up that most of your weekends are in good shape. So far in this unofficial season, we had really cruddy Memorial Day. And then it shot up like summer preview on fleek that next weekend. Last weekend, for those in the Northeast and Great Lakes, it was a kind of a little bit in between. Farther west, they've been in just amazing heat. And that's starting to spill eastward. And so uh, for those that are enjoying this niceness in the Great Lakes in the Northeast, uh, the party's over, or at least it will be here in the next day or two, because I think we're going to get some of that heat, not necessarily the intense heat, but certainly the air mass that uh, the Northeast and the Great Lakes have been enjoying, Bill. I mean, these have been incredibly low dew points and just this uh, sunny sky situation been quite easy to take, but it's going to get a little change here uh, as we go into the weekend. Uh, So lots to talk about. Let's start in the Northeast. Good weekend, I think. You know, in Boston and then down to New York City and the New Jersey area, uh, we've got some shower and thunderstorm chances. And I think now as we're kind of easing into uh, the weekend here, we're looking at maybe for the right along the 95 corridor, maybe later in the day or later at night, Friday night and Saturday morning, maybe one of the better chances. And then it kind of dries out again as we go later into Sunday. That's kind of my thinking right now. Yeah, that's right. Just uh, occasional shower thunderstorm threat, it looks like, into the day on Saturday, especially in the mid-Atlantic. I think anything that moves through New England should be pretty quick there on Saturday and then drying out nicely for Sunday. High pressure building in behind that. But you're right. Yeah, it's been a rather uh, cool couple of uh, mornings and days across the Northeast as we closed out the last week here. We had temperatures uh, near or below freezing on Mount Washington. We had 40s in parts of Pennsylvania and New York. I guess if you like the cool weather, I hope you soak that in because that's not going to last as we head into the weekend. It does warm up. Yeah, that uh, intense, dangerous, deadly heat that we're seeing. I think we're getting to the point now we're going to start hearing more and more stories about folks that are unfortunately uh, going to have complications from that heat. And a place like St. Louis, you know, it's funny. Uh, we joke about Bill being our stat guy. So when, you know, we throw something out, it just... There was some question mark whether St. Louis the last couple of days would get to 90 and they kind of just snuck over or to the bar the last two days, 91, 90, uh, as we're recording this on Thursday for Friday. Uh, But they are going to surge. I mean, it looks like Friday they're near or past the record of 100. Very dangerous heat. So it's spilling in. The good news for those folks is it's not going to get entrenched like it was out west for several days. There are some systems that will break into that and and break that heat down as we go later in the weekend and early next week. So kind of a brush with it in the middle of the country, this excessive and really aggressive heat. Yeah, kind of getting a piece of that heat breaking off and moving through the plains and into the east here over the next couple of days. So St. Louis getting close to triple digit territory there. I think we calculated it would be an 11 day heat wave. It looks like when all is said and done for them. And you're right. These records out West have been nothing short of incredible for this time of year. Now let's keep in mind, it's still spring. Right. We're not officially at summer yet until Sunday night. So to have these temperatures 
set uh, not only records for the month of June, but all-time records, including uh, that 107 reading in Salt Lake City that tied their all-time record for any time of the year. That is certainly impressive and noteworthy. Well, we're in the first month of meteorological summer. We're right in the heart of solar summer. I mean, again, uh, the solstice is coming uh, Sunday night into Monday morning. I think, what is it, like a, Eastern time, it's like 1130 or something. Yeah, it's so, after 11 o'clock, right. so, so have after, to stay up late to watch it. <laughs> my, uh, <laughs> so at that point, um, you know, it's still the way our atmosphere works. We hold on to the heat. And so while the intensity of the sun starts to lessen, it, it just it builds it in. But it's incredible that many of these long heat waves and the last what 11 day heat wave goes back to just three years ago, 2018. But right middle to end of June, that seems to be the sweet spot for maybe long term heat uh, in those places. Interesting to look at. But, you know, as I look at the weekend itself, I mean, those showers and thunderstorms that pop up in those places. And a lot of that, I think, is going to depend on the next feature that we're going to talk about. It hasn't been named as we were recording this, Bill and I, but I think there's a good shot that we have Claudette in the Gulf Coast at some point. Um, This storm, as we're recording this on Thursday, doesn't have a lot of highly organized situation uh, uh, already. And and the, the, the thought is it does not look like it's necessarily going to maybe coalesce into a strong wind-based tropical storm. But let's face it, no matter what amount of rainfall falls where this thing is going, which right now looks like the central and eastern Gulf, um, any amount of rainfall, whether it was a tropical system or just any general system, would be unwelcome there. And so that's the big threat here. Uh, these unorganized, slower moving ones sometimes, or or even moderate moving ones can provide a lot of rainfall and the problems. And that's, I think, the big thing that we're concerned about here. All folks along the central eastern Gulf Coast and then even up into the southeast are going to need to pay attention to this as we go over the weekend. Yeah, primarily this is going to be something that just ruins weekend plans and early week plans. But a few areas uh, talking about near the central Gulf Coast where it'll come inland, uh, have to worry about some uh, wind gusts over 40 miles an hour, some flash flooding, always a risk of isolated tornadoes as well, especially near the coast as these systems move in. So for the majority of the region, it's just going to be a rainy weekend. I have to contend with a few inches of rain, but some places will be dealing with this storm a little harder than others. And it will be tracking across the southeast, it looks like, and probably still with us, even as it goes into the Carolinas by by the time we get to Sunday and Monday. So yeah, we'll be going straight across the region, ruining some weekend plans for sure. So uh, Friday by Houston eastward through New Orleans and probably to the western part of the panhandle for the uh, downpours, right? Uh, that seems like a, a good fit. And then um, you spread that farther inland than as you go Saturday, Sunday and Monday, getting places in a little farther east and then up into Birmingham and stuff. Uh, rough surf, rip currents, as you said, uh, travel delays, reduced visibility, all those kinds of things that we're going to be watching as we go through uh, the next weekend. So, again, this is being recorded on Thursday. We drop it Friday morning. You need to keep your AccuWeather app handy and weatherproof your life, especially in those areas as we continue to track. An iPath of, again, a storm it hasn't been named, but uh, Claudette would be the next name in the alphabet. And then going past that, Bill, um, what are your thoughts about uh, the next couple of weeks? Are we seeing anything else that gives us any pause in the in the tropical scenario? 
I tell you what, we're already off to a fast start this season. If we get the sea uh, storm here early in June, or at least the first few weeks of June, but uh, you know, at least in, in the short term here out the next couple of days, I don't really see any new development past that. We're also watching another area in the Eastern Pacific as well. Off to a quick start there uh, too, but uh, of course, a long way to go in the season right through the end of November and, um, you know, severe weather also something we're going to have to keep an eye on as well in the country here over the next few days. You know, when you have these domes of heat, it's on mm-hmm. the edges of them where you see the thunderstorms. And we've been seeing that in the upper Midwest and northern plains. I think there will be a round of storms in the Ohio Valley and the uh, Appalachians uh, Friday into Friday night and Saturday morning. Probably a frontal boundary moving through there as we get into later Sunday through Monday and Tuesday. So, Yeah, uh, you know, lots of people making outdoor plans for summer now that school is over and things are winding down uh, with work. So you're going to have to contend with not only the tropical threat, but the thunderstorm threat as well. Kind of takes a look at the weekend. As we look at the week beyond, what I'm seeing is another nice air mass coming in to the Great Lakes and Northeast after we get rid of whatever that circulation is, Claudette or otherwise comes up the Eastern seaboard. Looks like there's a front that comes through Tuesday, Wednesday. And so again, another nice area of high pressure uh, that kind of dips in from Canada. And we're looking at nice weather for middle to end of next week. Another stretch where I might, you know, I started telling people last Saturday to play hooky for this late week period that we knew was so nice. And it seems like another nice stretch there towards the end of next week in the Northeast. Meanwhile, the heat uh, still building in the West. And then uh, you're right. Showers and thunderstorms, especially with that front that looks like it's coming through Tuesday from the Southeast to the Northeast into Wednesday. And then more thunderstorms building behind that is that nice air mass leaves and the heat and humidity build in. It looks like uh, again, St. Louis and uh, the Southeast would have some showers and thunderstorms to deal with towards the end of next week. So we're getting into a little rhyme here, right? For next week to this week in terms of the the way the, the, the structure goes. Yeah, generally below average temperatures, Mississippi Valley on east, above average temperatures across the Rockies in the west. And, you know, uh, the uh, new drought monitor, of course, came out here on this Thursday morning as we're recording this. And just continues to be very, very dry out west. Uh, the heat uh, certainly doesn't help that situation, continues to stress things out. Uh, drought uh, conditions covering 89% of the west, 42% a year ago. So double the amount of uh, territory covered by drought conditions. And don't see any relief there over the next couple of weeks. No, not indeed. You know, um, I know, uh, I think a kind of a tie in my lifetime between thunderstorms and um and snow events that kind of got me into meteorology, but maybe even more thunderstorms. We're talking about, you know, National Lightning Safety Week coming up here as we turn the calendar at the end of the week. So uh, next calendar week, June 21st to 26. It's 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 a catch-22 because I think there's just such still a mystery and a beauty and a, and and kind of a, as a meteorologist, almost like a fun watching lightning and stuff. But it's amazing how uh, how dangerous it is and 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 just how. It can it, you cannot be expecting it at times, and it's there. Um, did you ever have any experiences with lightning up close and personal? I know it hit our house, caught the back of our refrigerator on fire one time, and thankfully we were there to catch that. Do you ever had any direct experiences with lightning yourself? Yeah, when I was a kid, I think lightning struck our our house once and fried a bunch of our electronics. Ooh. Which you know back then those electronics were really expensive so <laughs> right yeah we, we we had surge protectors up and running within a couple of weeks after that uh, uh-huh. but yeah when 
what is the saying? When thunder roars, uh, go indoors. I think we were uh, taking my yeah. kids out to a park the other day, and I saw that posted on on the side of a bu- side of a building. And uh, certainly, uh, you know, advice that you know sometimes we don't always follow, but we should, especially with our kids, because we need to set the example for them going forward. Bill, again, happy Father's Day to you and to all the fathers and folks out there. And uh, great talking with you. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you, Dean. That's a wrap on episode three of our summer series here in 2021 from Everything Under the Sun. Special thanks to Dr. Marianne Cooper, our friend John Montone, and certainly Bill Dagger, who represents the hundreds of team members here at AccuWeather.com that work so hard every day to weatherproof your life. And you're going to lead to do that a lot here in the next uh, several days with this stuff in the Gulf Coast, the heat out west, and the uh, impending changes in the weather in the east. All kinds of uh, weekend plans brewing, so make sure you're checking in with AccuWeather.com and our AccuWeather partners and our AccuWeather network and AccuWeather.com, our website, for all the latest information. Next week, episode four, I'm excited about. We're going to talk sharks. I mean, recently, last couple of years, we've had a lot of great white shark issues off the East Coast beaches, but now the West Coast beaches are starting to have some issues. And at AccuWeather, we celebrated a proposal that was very weather driven if you haven't seen the footage or the coverage one of our well, actually two of our meteorologists um, tom bedard proposed to ray a mayday as a tornado touchdown we're going to talk to them next week all of that and more as everything under the sun comes at you for episode four next week for our executive producers andrew robb and ken prell i'm meteorologist dean devore thanks for listening we'll talk to you next week on everything under the sun from accuweather.com Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review Everything Under the Sun on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And of course, if you have an idea for a future podcast, just email us at accuweather.podcast at accuweather.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.